if you have your Bibles, please turn to Job chapter 14. We're going to start there today. Um, just to give you an idea of where we're going in the church. Uh, uh, for the next uh, month or so, we're going to uh, talk about heaven. We're going to talk about the afterlife. And hopefully I'm going to bring up some things you never thought about. And uh, so we're going to talk about that. Then I, I might, uh, just depending on how much time we have, I want to talk about some uh, some issues in the church uh, that we normally don't like talking about, uh, maybe depression, uh, uh, mental illness, uh, how do you handle it when somebody is uh, uh, deathly sick, or um, and we haven't talked about demonic possession or anything like that for a while, so we might talk about some of that, just depends on how much time we have. And uh, then we're going to start going down the road to the cross. Believe it or not, our next major holiday is Easter. Here we go. And uh, so we, we might be talking about that. The reason why I thought about talking about, uh, you know, the, um, the issues of mental illness and depression is because today we're going to focus on a man named Job. And if there's ever someone who deserved to... Uh, be depressed, it's him. I mean, if you think about it. I mean, how many of you, sometimes you, you might work in an occupation, you just dread when the phone rings. And that, yeah, when that phone rings, you just, you just know there's a problem. It's like our 911 dispatchers at the sheriff's department. Could you imagine being there, and whenever you hear that phone ring, you know it's, you, you might have somebody screaming on the other line, or something like that might be happening. And, and so you have to keep your, your, your mind uh, really, really focused uh, uh, while, you're, while you're listening to them. But see, here we have this man named Job. Job, uh, by the way, the book of Job, if you were to put the Bible in chronological order, Job would be before Genesis. Going, what do you mean? Genesis is talking about the creation. No, 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 no. Genesis was written by Moses, Job, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, uh, was written by Moses. It's called the Pentateuch. And so even though it talks about things before Job, it was actually written after Job. Job lived about the time of Abraham. Uh, he was a rich individual. And, uh, of course, you know the rest of the story. His phone rang. Could you imagine getting these phone calls and uh, one phone call is all of your livestock have been taken. Somebody went up to Van Wharton and opened up the, the, the gates to the meat farm. And, and th then you get another phone call that says all of your servants are dead or gone as well. Uh, your workers are all walked off the job or, or they all got sick and died. And then you get another phone call, your, your children were in an automobile accident, all of them are dead. I had a, a person at my last church who's, um, I don't know if you remember this or not, but about 15, 20 years ago, there was a horrible accident in Illinois where a family of seven, was, uh, seven children were driving uh, a Chevy Astro in the a uh, gas tank blew up and, and killed all over the family, and all that was left was the husband and wife, and I think they were able to get one child out. Could you, could you imagine that? He, he said they went to his church. 
And so here we have this man named Job that, that all of this happens to him. And, and then later he gets this disease. Uh, we don't know exactly what it is, but it developed horrible sores all over his body. And the Bible says that he would take broken pottery and he would scrape the goo off of his flesh. He had three friends. Their name was Eliphaz, Bildad, and Zophar. And, and they came to visit him to offer some support. And they actually did the best thing you can ever do when you're visiting somebody who is uh, going through it. You know what he did? They did? They said nothing. The value of just being there is so important, people. I didn't realize that until my father died and because I used to, you know, joke about flowers and stuff like that at funeral homes until my dad actually died. He was the first one that died of the three in, in one year. Where my dad died, then my father-in-law died, and then my mother-in-law died all within a year. And that was a year after Polly's brain surgery. And I found out the value of the ministry of presence. Not, not, not Santa Claus presence, I'm talking about the presence where you're just with them. And how important that is. And the best part, or the most important part about the ministry of presence is just being there. And you don't have to give a lot of insight because you don't have the answer. And so those three individuals went and it says for seven days they stood next to Job and they were silent. And in the midst of that time, the midst of Job's depression, he asks a very important question. He says, when a man dies, does he live again? And I think we've all asked that question. Especially in the midst of depression or something else that you're going through. You go, there's got to be more to this. And throughout the centuries, people have attempted to answer this question of, is there an afterlife? Is this worth it? And, and so the answer to the question is, when a man dies, does he live again? The answer is yes. And I'm going to go through that uh, today as the basis for the sermons that we're going to have for the next month. And not just because of what Job says, or what the Bible says, but we know there's an afterlife for a couple reasons. One is there's extra-biblical sources, and then there's Old Testament and New Testament. All these sources point to the fact that there's an afterlife, and that there's more to life than just this. So let's look at this today, and then eventually we're going to go back to Job and talk a little bit more about him. So we know that there are extra-biblical sources that point to an afterlife. Meaning this, all major religions focus on the fact that there's an afterlife. In Islam, they believe that all people have immortal souls. After death, the destination of the soul depends on the person's good or bad deeds. If you're bad enough, you're going to spend all of eternity in hell. If you're faithful enough, you'll be in paradise. In Judaism, 
Now, Judaism is kind of a weird one because there's a number of Jewish people who do not believe in an afterlife, and there's a number who do. But they basically say if, if you are good and faithful, you'll enter into an afterlife, and that afterlife is open to good people. Others believe that there will be a resurrection of everyone. That will include a judgment of every person's good and bad deeds to determine if they have eternal life. Now, as I said, there are some Jewish people who do not believe in uh, an afterlife. For example, Jesus was dealing with a group called the Sadducees. Sadducees is a Jewish group that do not believe in an afterlife. That is why they are sad, you see. That's how you keep them straight. I met a Sadducee once. And the Sadducees are still around. And I, I asked them, I said, why then do you follow after what the Bible states? Why do you follow, if, you know, if you're a Sadducee, why do you do what you do? Why don't you just live life, it's all about you? And he said this. He's a Christian now. But he said this. He said, the Sadducees believe that God will bless you in this life. So if you obey, you can have part of heaven on this earth. Okay. In Buddhism, they basically believe in reincarnation. In Hinduism, they basically believe in reincarnation and that if you are good in the, this life, then you're going to have a better karma for the life to come. There are others who believe in reincarnation. Uh, probably one of the most notable one would be uh, George S. Patton. He believed in reincarnation. He believed that he was reincarnated from someone else. What I find very interesting about those who believe in reincarnation is this, is that I don't find very many of them that said, my last life, I lived in the garbage dumps of this city. It's usually I was part of a court or a queen or a, I was a royalty. Not everybody can be royalty. That's why I can dismiss that as not true. Jehovah's Witnesses believe that... Uh, um, that there will be a judgment day and only the faithful Jehovah's Witnesses will go into eternal life. The rest, since there is no hell, the rest will be annihilated. Of course, that's not biblical, but that's what they believe. Mormonism, now, Mormonism, I'm going to give you a little warning here. The Mormons use a lot of, tech, a lot of terminology that is very similar to evangelical Christianity. And they will not bring up that which we uh, differ if they ever come to your house. Okay? They basically believe that through the, they'll say this, through the atonement of Jesus Christ, everyone will receive this gift of eter uh, eternal life. Do we not believe that? We believe the same thing. Or exaltation. Uh, a little weird here. In an inherit a place in the highest degree of the celestial kingdom, where we will live with God in the presence and continue as families in eternity. Well, that, that's, of course, you know the Bible. Even Jesus said there's no families in heaven. It's the family of God. It says you're not married in heaven, but yet they hold to that. In Christianity, we basically believe that salvation only comes through Jesus Christ. He is the only key to life and the love on this earth. He is the key to that which will happen to you when you die is based upon Jesus Christ. Nothing that you do, only upon Jesus. And only those whose names are written in the Lamb's Book of Life will inherit eternal life. 
Now, there are some other groups out there that say atheists, they do not believe in eternal life. Agnosticism, which basically says is we can't be sure if there is an eternal life. And humanism, that basically says there is no eternal life. So the question is, who's right? Who do we believe? When we die, is this the beginning or the end? Or is it the beginning of the end? Is there an afterlife? If so, how should we live in this life? Because I'm going to tell you, if there is no afterlife, then I'm going to tell you, then you might as well become the god of your own life and live life the way you want, as most of our society is doing right now as it is. Let there be total anarchy because let's eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. If there is not an afterlife, how should we live in this life? If there is an afterlife, then how should we live in this life? So after asking this question, Job says, if a man dies, does he live again? Then he goes a little further and he makes this comment. And this is found in Job 19. I know that my Redeemer lives. Look at that faith. Look at that faith. And that the, in the end, he will stand upon the earth. And after my skin has been thus destroyed, somebody is dead, okay, then in my flesh, then I shall see God, whom I shall see on my side, and my eye shall behold, and not another. My heart faints within so what Job is saying is, in the midst of his depression, in the midst of everything that was going on with him, he was holding on to the hope of the Redeemer. Now, the word Redeemer is big. Uh, there's a lot of different meanings to it when it applies to this, but I'm bringing it out to the Redeemer of mankind. So he got this Redeemer is going to come, and even though my flesh is eaten away, I shall see God. Oh, my heart faints within me. Now, the Message Bible says this. Message Bible is a paraphrase, by the way. If only my words were written in the book, better yet, chiseled in stone. Still I know that my God lives, and the one who gives me back my life, and eventually he'll take his stand upon the earth. And I will see him, even though my skin... Even though I get skinned alive, see God myself with my very eyes. I love this part. Oh, how I long for that day. Christians, do you long for that day when you see Jesus? I know there's, let's, let's be honest, we have within us, God has planted it within us. The strong desire of self-preservation. I mean, it is. I'm glad we've got that. And the reason is because we did not have that, we would be doing a lot of crazy things. But can we get to the point in our own faith where we say, my heart faints within me. Oh, I long for that day that I can see Jesus. And you look at people who have uh, gone through it. Older people, people who are of very strong uh, sicknesses that hit them, they get to that point where they say, is this all that this life has for me? 
Oh, my heart faints within me. Oh, how I long for that day that I can see God. And that's kind of my hope in this series that I'm going to do is to get you to the point where you go, I cannot wait until I see Jesus. I had a lady at my second church, loved her. Oh, I wish I had a whole church filled with people like her. Her name was Kathy Bebout. She developed leukemia, and for a whole year she was battling leukemia, and then eventually it took her life. But I remember one day I was with her, and, and we were talking about it, and she goes, she'd get a smile on her face, and just the way she said this, she goes, Darwin, you don't understand, I get to see Jesus. And I melted. And a few weeks later, his, her husband calls me up and says, she's not responding, can you come over? I went over to her house, and she was on the bed, on the couch. And I said, Kathy, I said, you need, to, you need to go to the hospital. She goes, I know. I said, okay. I said, can I pray for you? She goes, yes. And the last thing she could remember that we did on this earth is we were praying together. Because they took her to the hospital, and she died that night. And she got to see Jesus. So, let's look at the New Testament and the Old Testament, and let's go back to the fact of the proofs of our souls and eternal life. So, in the Old Testament, we have a number of individuals that experience this. Enoch, he never experienced death, he was taken away. Job, even though I put it in here just because of what he said here, uh, we have no point in scripture where it says we saw him in the afterlife, but he held on to the faith of it. Samuel was resurrected when Saul wanted to talk to him. They went to the witch of Endor and they conjured him up uh, from the dead. And basically he said, why are you uh, disturbing my sleep? I want to come back and just make a real quick comment about that. What Saul did was wrong. What Saul did was uh, against scripture. Do not go to these people. Do not go to seances. Do not go to any of this stuff. It is not of God. It is of the devil. And so Samuel was resurrected from the dead, and we see that in scripture. Okay, let's go a little further. King David's statement at the death of his son, his first son was Bathsheba. When he died, he basically said, I, he will not come back to me, but I am going to go to him. Elijah was taken up to heaven in a chariots of fire and in a whirlwind. So you have all these incidences where it points to an afterlife. Now in the New Testament, we have Lazarus, number one. Lazarus, number one, if you remember, in John chapter 11, is a good friend of Jesus who died. Jesus stayed away, and then eventually Jesus went uh, to the tomb, and everybody was crying, and, and he rose Lazarus from the dead. At the transfiguration in Matthew chapter 17, we see Moses and Elijah, who were thousands of years old, and yet here we have Moses and Elijah that were with Jesus. The saints after the death of Jesus rose from the dead. Matthew chapter 27 is one of my wife's favorite passages. She always wants me to preach on it during, Christmas, during Easter time. But here you have these individuals that after the death of, uh, of Jesus on the cross, it says the tombs opened up and the, and the saints were walking the streets. 
Then, and by the way, I always wonder what, what, where they go from there. The Bible doesn't say. Then I, I put Jesus on top. I should have put him below Lazarus. So let's look talk about Lazarus number two. Lazarus number two is a parable that's found in uh, Luke chapter 16. Luke chapter 16, uh, in which Jesus gives the story about a rich man and a poor man and at their death. We'll get to that a little bit later. And then the death and resurrection of Jesus. All this points to the fact that there's an afterlife. Now let's go back to Luke chapter 11, Luke chapter 16. This is a parable that's found in the scriptures that points to what happens to us at, and during the afterlife. It is, a, it is a parable about how uh, we're to live in this life, but it also gives us a glimpse into the afterlife. Here's a very interesting thing. Many scholars do not believe that this is a parable. Many scholars believe that Jesus at that point pulls back the veil into the spiritual realm and said, and gave an actual story that actually happened. And the reason why they say this is because this is the only parable found in scriptures where someone is named. And they actually give the name, the name is Lazarus. And so some of the scholars believe that this is uh, uh, an actual event that actually happened and Jesus says, let me tell you what, what's going to happen. Now, Take it as a parable, take it as uh, an actual event, I still think we can get the same meaning out of it. Jesus is showing, uh, giving an illustration of what happens to rich people, to poor people, to when you don't take care of people, but it also gives us a glimpse into the afterlife. So let's read this. There was a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen and lived in luxury every day. At his gate was laid a beggar named Lazarus, covered with sores, longing to eat that which fell from the rich man's table. Even the dogs came and licked his sores. The time came when the beggar died and the angel carried him to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. Notice the contrast of the both there. Lazarus died and was the angels came and carried him. This proves what I really believe, that when we die, we're not alone. I believe that the angels of God come and carry us to, to, to the, where God wants us to be. And yet you had this other individual that just said, he died. <laughs> you see that? And uh, the rich man, he just died. And they buried him. Then verse 23 says, In Hades, where he was tormented. Hades means the place of the dead. Okay. He looked up and saw Abraham far away with Lazarus by his side. So he called him, Father Abraham, have pity on me and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue because I am in agony in this fire. So, the rich man was in agony, looked across the gulf, there's Abraham. What Abraham's bosom means is a place of rest and, and uh, a place of rest and peace. That's basically what it means. All right. Verse 25, but Abraham replied, son, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things while Lazarus 
receive bad things. But now he is comfortable here and you are in agony. And besides this, between us and you is a great chasm that has been set in place so that those who want to go from here cannot, to you cannot, nor can anyone cross over from there to us. He answered, the rich man answered, I beg you, Father, send Lazarus to my family, for I have five brothers. Let him warn them so that they will not go and come to this place of torment. Abraham replied, they have Moses and the prophets. Let them listen to them. No, Father Abraham, he said, but if someone from the dead goes to them, they will repent. And Jesus said, if they don't listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be convinced even if someone rises from the dead. Boy, wasn't that prophetic? Even though Jesus rose from the dead, there are those who still do not believe. So here you have this picture of the afterlife. Most commentators say that this is a picture of a place of waiting. Many of them are talking about the Old Testament saints in this place of waiting. All right. So this leads me to the second question. The first question is, is there an afterlife? The answer is yes. The second question is, will, who will experience afterlife? The answer is, everyone. Everyone will. Um, the, the, the poor man went to Abraham's side. The rich one went to Hades and was in torment. Okay? So who will experience it? Everyone. Uh, this is what some people say. Hades is the torment in the disembodied state. Hell is the torment in the embodied state. What are you talking about, preacher? We'll, we'll get to this. But eventually, we're going to receive a new body. The scriptures are very clear on that. That when we die, we just don't go to heaven and you know, we float around with little harps and angel wings and everything else. Eventually, you're going to receive a new body. And so what they're saying is, Hades, the torment of the disembodied people, Hell is the torment for the embodied people when everyone receives their body back again. Okay. And I can give you scriptures for that if, if you, when, when we get to that, and, and I can share that with you. Because I know I'm going down a path that most of us are not used to. I understand that. Because many times what we do is we focus on they're dead, they're in heaven, that's it. There's more to that. Their souls are in heaven. Well, what about their bodies? Well, the Bible says that there will be a resurrection of the body. The Bible says that you, you will receive a new body. When does this happen? We'll talk about that a little bit later, too. But I can give you scriptures for that because uh, it, I, I, I want to say this right. Please don't understand what I'm going to say. You have every right to question me. Any pastor who says, don't question me, I'd be very scared of that guy. Because what I want you to do is, and, but if I come back with scripture, you need to have scripture too. Because the Bible is the final word. Got that? Okay. Okay. Now this leads me to the third question. When a person dies, is that it? Meaning, has the deceased person reached their final destiny for all of eternity? No. 
there's much more than that. Revelation chapter 21 and 22. There's much more than that. And so for the next couple weeks, I'm really going to challenge you. And, and I want to answer these questions. Is there an afterlife? Well, we, we've already established that today. Yes, there's an afterlife. The second one, what happens when we die? That's going to be next week. And um, I, I'm probably going to be focusing on Psalm 23 and also uh, uh, Luke 16. Because th there it gives us some ideas. But also, you can even look at, the, at uh, Elijah when he went up into heaven. I mean, there's a lot that's there. Okay? And lastly is, is heaven really our eternal home? And so I'm going to challenge you in some of our thinking there as well. Because I'll be honest, I'm being challenged. Because normally I just preach, they're in heaven, da -da -da -da, there are many rooms, my father's also many rooms. And yet I, I neglect what Revelation 21 and 22 says, and then I, 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 I neglect what about the resurrection of the body and the new heaven, new earth, the earth that's being destroyed by fire, and then there's new heaven, new earth. And there's so much there. And so part of it, we're going to be using our imagination, but part of it, I really want us to focus on this one question. Is there an afterlife? Yes. What are you going to do about it? What are you going to do about it? You're saying, well, what do you mean, what am I going to do about it? Okay. How do you receive the afterlife? Well, it comes through, well, everyone gets it, right? Abraham's bosom or Hades? Which one? Uh, does it really matter? Yes, it does. Does it matter? Well, Jesus is the key. Are you trying to earn your salvation, as all these other religions say, or are you focusing on your trust in Jesus Christ? See the key, the difference? You saw commonality in almost every religion, based upon good works, based upon good works, based upon good works. Except for Jesus, except for Christianity, says our salvation is based upon the works of Jesus Christ. And that's why we come on Sunday morning. That's why we worship. That's why we give thanks. Because of what Jesus did. Because if it was based upon what I did, then I'm going to walk around with signs that says, Darwin helped a homeless person in Salina, Ohio, by giving him a Subway sub. And you're all going to go, yay! Isn't that great what he did? No. It is Darwin is a Christian, his faith, because of his faith in Jesus Christ, because of the fact that he died on the cross in my place. And we all go, thank you, not Darwin, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. I had asked the worship team, um, for those of you who know, we've been experimenting with the closing of the, of the service. You know, and you, you know we have been. So, but, but I asked them, I said, I would like to have one song sung after these series of sermons. I said, because there's one song that keeps coming to my mind. And Abby goes, what is it? And I said, death was arrested. How many of you know that song? Death was arrested. Let me read some of these, and then we're going to sing it, okay? 
alone in my sorrow and dead in my sin. Job, lost, of, <clears throat> lost without hope and no place to begin. Your love made a way to let mercy come in when death was arrested and my life began. Ash was redeemed, only beauty remains. My orphan heart was given a name. My morning grew quiet, and my feet rose to dance when death was arrested, and my life began. Released from my chains, I'm a prisoner no more. My shame was ransom, he finally bore. He canceled my debt, and he called me his friend when death was arrested and my life began. Our Savior displayed on the criminal's cross, darkness rejoiced as though heaven had lost. But Jesus arose with our freedom in hand when death was arrested and my life began. Oh, your grace so free, watches over me. You have made me new. Now life begins with you. It is your endless love pouring down on us. You have made us new. Now life begins with you. Let's stand. Death was a 